0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Vinyl Countdown, the podcast where I, Jeremy Levine, break down my favorite vinyl releases from cover to cover and everything in between. On this week's episode, I will be diving into an album by one of my favorite bands of all time, and it's one of my favorite albums by them. Eh, well, it's like top four, right? Uh, but it was not super well received, at least initially, my fans. Uh Coheed and Cambria's 2015 release, The Color Before the Sun, uh and their only non-Amory Wars storyline uh release so far. I for one love this record. Like I adore it, you know. Uh I do love the Amory Wars saga as well, but uh it was kind of nice to get an album that was written from the perspective and the experiences of the band, like their personal lives. Uh, Even though Claudio does weave in his own experiences into the, the uh, the normal storylines and with the characters, like they're inspired by his life and things like that, you know, uh, this record always seemed a lot more personal and a lot more honest. So that's pretty. It was pretty exciting to get that side of them, you know. Uh, So let's uh, head on down to Variant Corner. So there are five variants listed on Discogs, which uh, a couple I didn't, I didn't even know existed until I started doing this, um, so I researched it. But so you have your standard black, your uh, dreaded uh, picture disc, uh, egg white—they call it—limited to fifteen hundred. That's the one that I have. It's it's more of like a if I had to, uh, I guess, pick a color, it'd be like a a yellowish like a sun yellow sort of like it's kind of a really a, a a faint yellow but i don't think it's egg white that's not really a proper description but whatever the case there's a storm blue limited to a thousand that was sold at a new york comic-con and on tour only and a silver release a silver pressing that was released in 2016 exclusively on tour and signed by the band also limited to 1000 now the uh the black and picture disc versions are fairly cheap because they are plentiful. Um, $14 or so for the black, like $22, I think, and up for the picture disc. Um, <clears throat> I believe I paid $35 for the variant I got. Like I, I ordered it at the time when it was new. Uh, but I ended up actually paying over $100 between the vinyl, uh, getting the digital album on iTunes, and the box set, which I will talk about later. Uh, but this particular uh, the egg, the egg white variant is listed for 50. Um, the storm blue is going for about 75 and the silver variant that's signed is at a hundred. So, uh, the storm blue looks really fucking cool. Uh, but of course I didn't see them on that particular tour and was not in New York for comic con. So, I guess I just never, it, it may have crossed my radar at some point, but whatever the case, I missed out on it. Um, So, you know, again, like I said, I have the box set as well, and it's also super cool. Uh, It came with the following things. So two hardcover coffee table books, uh, two CDs, the uh, Color Before the Sun studio album, and the uh, Big Beige slash Fourth Street demos they did. Uh, It came with a digital download, the version, again, those two things. And I bet you, if you're wondering, like, well, why did you had the CD and the digital downloads. Why did you then still buy it off of iTunes? Because Apple, I'm sure there's a way to do it, but I couldn't figure it out. And I've never been able to figure it out. If you have a download like that, it just doesn't fucking work. So, uh, I just, for ease, uh, I don't know, for, for just simplicity's sake, I was like, fuck it. I'll just pay the extra 10 bucks and get it on iTunes too. So whatever. Uh, there is a seven inch with uh, two unreleased bonus tracks which I honestly I don't think I've ever spun that seven inch but uh, it looks really cool I believe it's on like uh I think it's on like a like a kind of a darker blue like a clear blue or whatever uh, the physics of color documentary DVD which is really really cool uh, an exclusive lapel pin and a keywork house key design. And also an authentic authentication uh, certificate. So, the uh, the hardcover book um, is pretty cool. Like uh, it, it, in one portion, it has the names of everybody who pre-ordered the box set before a certain date, uh, which I also did for the Unheavenly Unheavenly Creatures box set, which will get its own episode at some point. But um you know, my name's in that one and in the, in the last release, too. And um, there's this big story. I think it's all written by his Claudio's wife, Chandra. And there's all kind of cool shit. Like, it's really, really awesome. Um, uh, so, fun story. Not really. So I was pretty pissed off about it. Um, so, in 2016, we bought our first house, right? This album came out mid, I think, late October-ish 2015. And I took that house key uh to go have it made from my house key from my first house and it would have been really fucking cool having this cohen camera thing and like that's my house key, right? And <clears throat> well, turns out Walmart fucked it up and to the point where I couldn't use the key at all. And, you know, wasn't too happy about it. Still not happy about it. But um the thing is though, I mean it's I still have it for nostalgic purposes or whatever. And um it's cool it's cool to look at sometimes. And, you know, it, it's, I guess, speaking of nostalgia, that's kind of what this album is for me, like a big ball of it, right? Like it came around, at, it came at a time when there's a lot of like big transitions happening and, uh, you know, kind of always associated with that, but, um, you know, we'll get into it. So, uh, track one, Island, it's, uh, so here, this comes straight from Claudio himself from uh, an interview that I found. So, uh. You know, who better to tell what it's about than the person who wrote it, right? So he says, quote, Island is very much the beginning of the record. Uh, It opens with the sound of the Q train going into Brooklyn, and that's the train that I would frequent when going in and out of Brooklyn into Manhattan. It's very much the beginning of my identity crisis when writing this record, too. Uh, I had a hard time writing songs in this new apartment, or at least I thought I did, and it's basically a a song to my wife saying that she needed to hear me and understand that it wasn't working for me. I needed to leave and get back to the country, and that's essentially what Island is about. Just the apartment being too small and the exposure being too much for me. When I started the song, it was all on acoustic, and that was the beginning of this idea of the album being a solo effort. But we transformed it into a rocker, and the guitar at the beginning claws into the idea of distance and landscape, which I really didn't have being in that apartment. I was longing for space, and the opening guitar line is supposed to resonate that. Then the band comes in, and everything becomes tight and crunchy. Again, that's meant to be a musical rep- musical representation of the chaos I was experiencing inside the space of that apartment. That was in, a, uh, <clears throat> in an interview with Team Rock. So uh, there you go. You know, so, uh, Josh's drums, Josh Shepard, their drummer, his drums sound incredible on the record. Uh, Travis Stever as well. Uh, Zach Cooper on bass is great. Like they, they, uh, Mike Todd was great. The original bassist in his own right. But, uh, Zach, I don't know, Zach just brings something to the band that, like I've seen, I've seen them live with, with both lineups and, there's, just, I don't know, Zach is just really good. Now, as far as when Josh left the band, it was one of those things where it was, it was not as good. Like, to me, like, Josh's drums sort of, like, pump every song up, and, like, it just, he he's one of my favorite drummers, like, behind maybe Tucker from Thursday. Uh, I don't know, I guess Josh is probably second on that list, and then, like, Tony from uh, Motion City is probably my third. Like that's my top three favorite drummers of all time. And you know, seeing them live with and without him, it was like it was night and day. And even the records that he wasn't on, uh, the second Good Apollo album, which is my least favorite Coheed album, and then the uh, Year of the Black Rainbow, um, you know, it, it, Chris Penny took over for him, and he's wonderful and diligent escape plan just an incredible fucking drummer but he was not a good fit in coheed if that makes any sense you know uh and then you know fun fact about that album too this the second good apollo uh chris penny helped to write the drum parts but because he was contractually bound by his other record label he couldn't play on the record on in the studio so they had taylor hawkins from foo fighters at the time playing all the drum tracks for that record didn't like either one of them Drumming wise, like they were, they were fine, I guess, but compared to what Josh brings to the band, it's not even close. But anyway, sorry, went off on a big tangent on how much I love him as a drummer. But, uh, next up, Eraser. Uh, Eraser is, again, coming straight from Claudio, uh, is very much about turning back the clock and finding that youthful creativity without the walls of history that we have built for ourselves as Coheed and Cambria, the concept band. That's according to Song Genius. Now, you know, I I guess I kind of feel this throughout the record and that there's an energy that maybe wasn't as prevalent in the Afterman dissension record that came out in 2013 as the second part of the Afterman series, right? Uh, It was great and I, I really liked it, of course, but there were a few songs that fell short just a bit in a couple of areas where uh, The Afterman, Ascension was great. And then Descension, like I said, the second part had some really standout tracks, but then other songs that were kind of just, I wouldn't say forgettable, but but in comparison, because Coheed had such a huge and such a really good, you know, rec- like a library of songs, it's like, those weren't their strongest, I thought, and, you know, that that this kind of renewed energy they, they kind of have on this record, maybe not being bound by the storyline and everything else, I think it really kind of shines through in the recordings, you know, but, um, but anyway, so track three, colors, uh, so I like to wake up, oh, sorry, this is, again, a quote, <laughs> so he says, I like to wake up super early, I was like, damn, that's me too, I like to wake up super early as well. But uh, anyway, but doing that in this apartment, I just didn't know what to do with myself. So I'd end up leaving the apartment and walking around Prospect Park, which was just a couple blocks away until the sun came up. I was having this struggle, but I was sort of coming to a resolve and finding peace within myself as well. I was learning to accept all the colors and shades of who I am, whether it was me me from 16 years old or me now at 37. Didn't matter because it was all one and the same. The keys are really sparse and just one note, and to me, they represent this coming together and solidarity of these two personas merging into one. I incorporated the piano to feel that resonance of this of this split becoming unified, and the chorus echoes the idea that when the world all comes crashing down, it feels good to just let go and allow things to take course, take their course. And that's the big theme of this record. Um, like I said again, from uh, coheed Im- uh, from coheed himself, <laughs> from Claudio himself. Um, So in verse two, you know, he says, uh, I lost myself along the way, restless nights mixed with purposeless days, counting forward, taking steps to a better man, the one you can live with. You know, for me, you know, at the time I was in college still, I was 31 years old, still like chugging away at it, trying to figure things out, you know, and in a way like this verse really spoke to me in the way I felt and like it was never going to end, but also wanting to get it done to help you know, provide for my family better and whatnot, you know. And uh, while it was happening, it seemed like it would, like, never end. But I made it through and everything actually worked out pretty great. But, you know, this that verse kind of reminds me of, the, of those feelings of just being just, again, being restless or being depressed or being, just making it seem like your days are just, just like you're just droning away and this is just, like, it's never going to fucking stop, you know. Um, it's kind of funny now to go back and listen to it. And kind of, you know, think of those old feelings and kind of like, you know, it feels good that I kind of got past it all and, over, and overcame it, you know? So, so, uh, track four, Here to Mars. Why did I just snap? I don't know. Uh, disregard that. Um, one of my favorite records, uh, one of my favorite tracks on the record. So, um, uh, funny story, uh, had we done a traditional wedding where like we read vows and, and all that kind of shit, uh, I would have used lyrics from the song but didn't get a chance to but um so the chorus he says uh honey it's in the stars and you're my everything from here to mars and every word i say i truly mean dear darling i hope i'm being clear because there's no one like you on earth that can be my universe ah so sweet now uh, i didn't get a chance to do it but i do love this song and according to claudio kind of uh makes sense that it's a love song for its wife and it allowed him to look at her in a different light. Uh, he says that, uh, they collaborate on a ton of things together. You know, a lot of the comic books and the lyrics and the music that he writes. And now that, uh, they're about, they were about to collaborate on a life together. <clears throat> it was a, a really special moment that framed her in a way that made me want to express myself in a song for her. So it's basically what I did. And here to Mars is me trying to encapsulate that emotion. And, uh, you know, he kind of makes a joke that some people make you know, take it literal and kind of fuck with him. And it's like, Oh, you only love your wife to Mars. Uh, that's only the neighboring planet of our, of our solar system. You know, it's not really that far away, but you know, it's it really, you know, he says to him, it's, uh, Mars, might as well be on the on the other end of the universe because he's never going there. Right. So, uh, <laughs> he said here, maybe I should just do a series of love songs about the solar system next time. Right. But yeah, I love all that. And I love all these songs, uh, and I love how they don't follow the same storyline as the other albums or whatever, uh, but they still sound like decidedly coheed, if that makes any sense, you know, like maybe a little more accessible, maybe not as like proggy as some of their other stuff, but still very much within the same realm of what they've been doing for years and years, right? Uh, so up, up next is Ghost. It's a, uh, it's a very, uh, introspective song, you know, it's an acoustic track and, uh, it ends the, uh, the A side of the record. So, um, he says, uh, once I knew we were expecting the birth of our first son, this song allowed me a moment to question myself and ask what kind of father I was going to be. It was all new to me and I wondered whether it was going to be an original experience or if I was going to echo the ghost of my parents and their upbringing. I'm sure it'll be a little, a bit of both, but that's why I approached the song in such a stripped down manner. It was me contemplating my future as a father. And the more I look at this album now, the more I think there is a concept there. It's just more autobiographical rather than a science fiction fantasy. It's a story about a man and his wife and the trials that they endure pre and post parenthood. It's like a Cookie and Cambria concept record, except that it's about Claudio and Chandra. Uh, now, I know I'm pulling a lot from the same interview, but God damn it. Again, who better to source than the person who wrote it, who wrote everything, right? Uh, so yeah, love that song. Pretty great. Um, then that leads into the B side of the record, which starts off with Atlas, named for his son. So he says, uh, you know, in anticipation of the birth of his son, he wrote Atlas. Uh, at the time, I can only imagine the feelings I'd have warm when I'd have to leave for tour. I didn't truly understand the power and, re- and relevance of the song's sentiment. Now, after having him in my life for almost three months and with Never Ender just a few weeks away... I'm starting to feel it. This will be our first tour away from Atlas and sure it will be hard but it's all for him. I'd like to share that song with you. So the so that that's, that was uh, the lead in I think to the YouTube video where he like he they released it first there like a stripped down version of it and um, then months later the album came out and it was, you know, the full band version. But uh, in the chorus he sings um so sleep tight little Atlas because when your daddy goes off just you know that you're the weight of his anchor the love that is guiding him home. And, uh, I have a, a video of me actually singing that to Charlotte as a baby and, you know, inserting Charlotte instead of Atlas, obviously. And, uh, she's like smiling and everything. And it's a super cute Thought I'd share, but, um, it's a really sweet song. And again, it's a cool departure from the sci-fi and, uh, diving into his personal life, you know, like in, in a way they never have before. Um, speaking of so <laughs> up next my i think my actual favorite uh song on the album right young love uh he says it's and it's a song about their house uh it says my wife and i uh, left our country home to live in brooklyn but we couldn't bring ourselves to sell it so we decided to rent it out the house is, is very important to the Kohee dna you know they wrote uh, no world for tomorrow there um They wrote Year of the Black Rainbow and both Afterman records there too. And he says, I'm pretty sure I actually wrote You Got Spirit, Kid, and we got back to the house as well. But we found out after a year of living in Brooklyn that the people renting out our house weren't actually in it. They didn't exist. They were in fact a ghost family and our house had been turned into a cannabis farm for growing weed. So the house we were preparing to move back into with our son had now been destroyed and we had to pick up the pieces and put the house back together. I wrote this song as a sort of an apology to the house because it was such an important place for me, and I left it in the wrong hands. That's kind of why I approached the music in that sort of washy way. Uh, It feels very lonesome, and that's because we left our house alone with the wrong people, and everything got handled eventually. We moved back in there for a year or so, but in August, we actually moved back to the city because we missed living there. The house is still out there, though, and we'll figure out what we'll do with it, I'm sure. So there you go. It's kind of a, a love letter to their old place. And for me, the old house I left behind, uh, you know, it, it was relevant be, like the, the theme of that is relevant to me because you know, we were leaving a place that, you know, where my son was born, and the only house he'd ever known, uh, to move into a new house. And for me, you know, I moved uh once as an adult before moving into that place. So that was two times. And uh, I never moved, at least, I think when I was two and a half or three, we moved into the house that I grew up in, and that's where we stayed forever, and that's where my parents still are. So I didn't have much experience with moving, and I still don't. So moving like that, it's hard. Like, it was hard for me, it was hard for Spencer, um, you know, but us getting this house was by far the best thing we could we could have done. It's just that it was still, it was difficult, you know, and uh, I, I like to you know, apply this song to maybe his mindset and how he felt about the move. And, you know, he was, he was really upset, you know, and, uh, you know, again, as much as we love our new house, there's always going to be a part of us that is there too, you know, and I feel like the song does a really good job of kind of fleshing that feeling out, you know, but, uh, up next is track eight, you got spirit kid, the first single that they released, I believe, uh, it says, uh, I didn't know what to think about, the, uh, well, I say, I, I didn't know the thing about the song, you know, when I first heard it, but eventually it grew on me. It grew on me, and then, like, you know, I began to get super excited about the record and everything, like, like normal. But uh, Claudio says, you know, I, I kind of want people to know that Coheed can write that sort of record. Uh, I've always said in the past that there's never been a limitation on the band. It makes no sense to me to draw a line in the sand and never cross it. Uh, I'm very glad they crossed it because uh, that song's pretty great which, uh, leads into the most coheed sounding song on the record, uh, proggy, sludgy, just like whatever the audience. Uh, so he says the, the good and bad reactions to our music are all a part of the audience. Uh, I receive all of it, the negative and the positive. It all makes me who I am. Uh, when we started making this record, I kept thinking, this is the first non-concept coheed record. How will it be received? The reason I created the Emory Wars, uh, so many years ago was because I was a shy guy, and I was afraid to express myself in songs. so I created a fictional world that could take the beating and I would remain unscathed and Now here I am uh, coming to accept that the color before the Sun is going to be a conceptless album, and that negative feedback is not going to bother me as much as I thought it would when I started writing music back when I was twenty four now i'm thirty seven and I'm going to be as open to both sides of the audience as possible because it all makes me who I am and coheed what it is. Uh, this song is really just addressing both sides of the positive and negative reactions to this record as a whole again perfect summation of it uh, and again it's, it's a it's a wonderful fucking song I, I, it's a pretty long song and again it's 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 very just like chuggy and just whatever but it's it's great so on to the closer uh peace to the mountain um, this song is is the resolve it's coming to accept everything right. he says that at the time i wrote it uh we were returning to the country and it was like we'd come full circle we left and experienced everything that we could and then went back to the uh, to the peace and quiet of the mountain and that's pretty much it Uh, this song is really a recount of my personality and who i am and my obsessions with time and death and i think it, it all resonates pretty well in the song i think about the present and the future all the time and i'm very excited about this record coming out but i'm also looking even further ahead too and maybe there'll be a moment like this again where it'll call for the songs to speak for themselves or maybe i'll decide to go back to the Amory wars he says uh you know i do very much love the science fiction fantasy and the whole conceptual world only time can really tell where i'll land when it comes to the next coheed record but he says he's open to both sides but as you all know the unheavenly creatures came back and were uh back into the Amory wars um you know saga and everything and it's amazing it's an amazing record <laughs> but um like i said earlier it will get its own uh episode like hand like for sure it's gonna have to it's gonna be a big episode but uh this album you know five out of five if any other band put it out it will be a five out of five uh but as a coheed record because their catalog is so strong um uh, i guess i'll give it an <laughs> an arbitrary 4.7 out of 5. Uh, I love it, but I also love a few more of their albums, uh, including their most uh, recent release even more. So it is still a stellar record, though, that if for some reason if you haven't given it a chance because of, uh, you know, the departure from the original storyline or whatever, like, don't. Don't do that. Give it a chance. You'll love it. And, uh, you know, highly recommend so yeah again that's it for me today uh check out the youtube page for variant corner 2.0 where you can get take a look at the record uh get a look at the box set and uh, get to see my face right uh follow me on instagram at the vinyl countdown podcast uh check me out on twitter at Vinyl podcast 5 and uh on facebook as well as the vinyl countdown podcast um all of these links of course will be in the description And uh, I said it last week, but again, I will say it, 2020 will be very good for the podcast. And I think um, I may have some things working on the horizon that will be pretty awesome. Uh, So really looking forward to that and uh, really excited to get to the point where I can actually really talk about it once it all, if it all kind of comes together like it's supposed to. And um, I can really, you know, give all details. I'm super excited for that. So we'll see. But, uh, and also, you know, thank everybody. I want to thank you all for for listening as usual and, uh, you know, just helping me to keep this thing going and keep it getting spread out to more people. So it's really awesome. I really appreciate it. So uh, again, for the Vinyl Countdown, I am Jeremy Levine, and I hope to be in your ears next week. Take care, everybody.